you found The Paulist, a daily comics analysis podcast. I'm Paul, and every day I discuss a comic book, integrating analysis from a variety of perspectives. I invite you to dialogue with me on Twitter and Tumblr at TWOPLAI, and you can find, review, and share The Paulist on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Um, our Sunday Superfriend and Monday Marvel covers a big two superhero comic. On Tuesdays, I discuss a trade paperback from another publisher like Image or Dark Horse, Boom, IEW, Valent, Titan, Aftershock. Um, on Wednesdays, I share my pull list and touch on worldwide or web comics. On Thursdays, a throwback classic. On Fridays, a family-friendly graphic novel. And on Saturdays, a small press comic. I'm an educator and an academic, and I'm reading comics with you. So let's dig deep. Today is August 16th, uh, Tuesday, uh, but we're actually going to go back in time and pretend that it's Monday and today is going to be our Monday Marvel when I'm going to talk about the all new, all different Avengers annual number one. Um, but uh, not only are we backdating and trying to play catch up here, we're also back from hiatus. Uh, I am back from a family vacation and um, I didn't announce that at the outset that that was my reason for taking a hiatus since it's probably not wise for home security reasons to inform the internet that you are not going to be home for a little while but it was a really good break I had a nice trip with my family um but um regarding the podcast it was really good also to take a break and to hear from many of you uh and then to assess what i'm doing and why um this is a daily comics podcast and there are so many comics podcasts out there and uh, many of them that i listen to that do exactly what i would want to hear um what i would sort of dream of doing insightful interviews um incisive commentary interesting analysis um you know informed coverage of the industry those are not things that i am capable of doing um but there are things that that podcasts out there are doing um i i've mentioned before com the comics alternative uh podcast which um, i'm involved in the blog portion of that um although we don't have a ton going on on that blog um but um also orbital orbital in conversation is um a really amazing podcast where um chris thompson who is um uh, I, th I think he's an events manager and, uh, you know, involved in, uh, in Orbital Comics in London. Um, he does a podcast where he has interviews and sometimes um, these sort of director commentary episodes with different creators. And uh, it's a really, really fantastic podcast. Um, and even more of an honor that um, among the people that I heard from during my break was, um, was Chris. And so shout out to you, Chris, um, who... Uh, mentioned the podcast to uh, a few other folks. One of them, um, the 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 folks at Big Bang Comics in Dublin. Um, now to have you know folks at Orbital in London talking to folks at Big Bang Comics in Dublin um, about my podcast is utterly mind blowing <laughs> because um, although I've never had the privilege, uh, Orbital won the 2016 Eisner Spirit of Comics Retailer Award. This past year obviously and big bang comics um not only has a sterling reputation um and and a sort of a great internet presence for a retailer um but also was nominated for that same award and so i just want to shout out to to chris um as well as the folks at um, Big Bang Comics. The Big Bang is going to have um, Claire Rowe, Declan Shalvey, and, and Jordi Belair um, appearing, uh, I think, tomorrow, which is pretty amazing. Um, and uh, Orbital is just an amazing store. It's Orbital and Conversation is a great, great podcast um, that you should definitely check out. Um, those are examples of, to me, <laughs> real comics podcasts. And what am I doing here in my in my awkward basement um, recording, uh, talking to myself. Uh, so, you know, taking a break was actually a nice time to step back and reassess what exactly I'm doing to take stock of whether I'm contributing something unique, um, something worth putting out there and worth devoting time to, both for myself and people who are good enough, you who are good enough to, to listen. Um, as I took stock of what I was doing, it was really, really moving, actually, to hear from a number of listeners. Uh, one of them was uh, Lee Walton, who is the editor of the March Trilogy, uh, who works at Top Shelf. And to hear his feedback about um, my last episode uh, before the break about March Book 3 was uh, just blew me away. Totally, um, 
totally appreciated his kind words, um, as well as those of many others of you who, since I didn't ask for permission, I don't want to sort of shout out everybody's name, but thank you for reaching out to me. Um, what, what am I doing here? I mean, I, I think, you know, I think this thing that I'm doing that I talk about at the top of the episode, some kind of integrative analysis, you know, the social scientist in me and the humanities and art and literature lover in me trying to, um, merge those together and to look at this medium that we we find so fascinating which is why i assume you're here i I guess i realize that it's actually because there are so many great voices out there talking about comics that's exactly why i wanted to to participate um there's something in the participatory culture of comics, which is actually exactly what I'm going to talk about today to tie into um, All New All Different Avengers number one. Something in the, the ways that we as fans are not content merely to consume and digest, but to also to, uh, well, like I try to make a motto every episode, we, we have this yearning in us to dig deep and a yearning in us to keep reading. And I think that's what I'm striving for. And it's not something that other shows lack, but it's something that I try to that I, that I want to bring is a certain breadth, um, you know, to keep reading and to, to not let myself become content. You know, I sort of fill my days reading academic work and reading data. And, um, and so to not be content with just comics being my leftover time where I read just familiar and comfortable things, but where I'm constantly stretched in my imagination in my sympathies and my compassion and my understanding. Um, but also to read for depth and to do it daily. Um, you know, I've gone back to listen to some of the old episodes in the in the break, and and man, some of the sound is horrible. Uh, there's times when I'm just meandering. I it, I I find myself having just learned these bad habits of speech. My sentences are convoluted, and I you know my intonation gives no hint to where I'm going. Sometimes uh, you'd think that Malcolm Gladwell's ten thousand hours of practice that makes you an expert um, that I've put in those times is it that time as a teacher. <laughs> I think listening to my own podcast makes me feel bad for all those um, poor teenagers that I subjected to my monologues all those years. No, I don't actually monologue in in my class, but but anyway, <laughs> um, you know what am i what am i trying to do here i i ask myself as i um you know as i listen to my my episodes my old episodes um but but actually i think what has convinced me is really that um i got this amazing feedback i mean that my my number of listeners the the peak number of listeners that i've had to this daily podcast actually i hit that peak after um and, and i want to I guess it's thanks to um, to folks like Chris Thompson um, speaking so kindly about it on Twitter and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, you know, what I experienced um, while I was on vacation with my family, spending time reading, uh, I was actually reading March with my daughter and my wife. Um, and then hearing from some of you was this sense of community um, that we somehow experience as readers. I don't know you. I haven't met you very likely. I've never shook, had the privilege of shaking hands with you. But um, there is a sense of community in sharing the experience of reading together, and, and it matters. Um, it matters to our, our, our you know, sense of who we are, um, to our identities, to our understanding of the world, to the uh, imaginative and shared universes that we inhabit together, uh, be they universes that are reflective of historical and social and political realities or universes that transport us out um, in order to to make us think about them anew. And so I, I guess while I was taking a break and considering whether or not I would continue, I thought about what a privilege it is to, uh, to quote unquote, read together, you know, how much that means to, to us, how much that means to us as a family, uh, me and my, my wife and my, my daughter, and how much that means to me as a member of the, you know, bigger <laughs> world family. Um, I am in many ways a believer. Um, I'm a teacher, so I believe in education, even as much as at the same time I try to be critical of education as a scholar and as an educator. Um, but but I also try to be hopeful, um, and, I, and I hope it's a hard-earned hope. Um, as a father, I, you know, I have aspirations and hopes for my daughter, and yet um, you know, I try to be um, self-critical of my parenting. Um, in society, I, I'm attracted to, you know, for instance, people like Cornel West who are intellectuals um, but also have a spiritual 
um, you know, a, a soul, a spiritual and moral force because of, you know, Cornel West talk, talks about this idea of prophetic pragmatism, um, including the tones of sort of the Christian, uh, <laughs> Cornel West always likes to talk about the tragicomic, this, this belief that, you know, simultaneously that we're falling apart, but that there's something also redemptive that's born within us, um, something horrendous uh, about which we must only uh, laugh and, 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 um, you know, uh, sort of this existentialist hope. Um, and, and I try to bring that to my work as a reader and as a writer and as a scholar and as a teacher. So, yeah, I mean, I think this, co- this podcast is about analysis. Um, and I, I think about that word and, and how many, um, I, there's a, a YouTube show called strip panel naked. Um, that is just a, a remarkable, if you haven't seen that, check, check that out and shout out to, um, you know, the, the folks behind that, they just do this, they, they do analysis of comics and it's great. Um, but I realized that, yeah, I think what I'm trying to do here is analysis that's formal. Yes, but it's also critical. Um, and, and, and I mean critical in the sense of critique, um, but also a kind of critique that is also born in seeking meaning and, and looking for hope. Um, I, I gotta be honest, you know, autobiographically, I, I owe comics a debt for reawakening and reconnecting me spiritually in many ways. Um, I've worked in education for a lot of years. I've worked in scholarship. I've worked in, in the church, um, and, and, and try to be involved as a, as an advocate, as a, you know, as an activist, but really it's, you know, I think it's the willingness of comics to sometimes to go dark, sometimes to search, um, that have, you know, I think ignited in me many of my, um, spiritual strivings and longings. Uh, I know that sounds ridiculous to some people, um, but, um, it's it's the truth it's the truth uh, that this immigrant kid who um, found his connection to language culture and society through um, funny books uh, finds it again at his you know, the ripe age of 35 to um, re-engage with the world this way so you know um, all this by the way is transition to the talk about all new adventure all new all different avengers annual number one but um i guess just to close talking about podcasting and why i'm here um there's a lot of veteran journalists uh, of the comics world and sometimes i listen to them and they've earned the right to to do this but they're sometimes cynical about comics journalism you know they've been podcasting for a decade or writing about comics for you know three or four decades with very little income (laughs) um and they you know they start to feel hardened sometimes that um what are we in this for and and really you know they deserve compensation the way that others deserve compensation i i appreciate that and i empathize but um i also realize that you know, one of the reasons that I am only one among so many voices out there in this podcasting world is that um, we're living in a time where the the ways that participatory cultural consumption work reveal that, you know, many of us may try to find ways to do this kind of thing for money or for work. But the bottom line is we do this for love. We do this for love. You know, reading keeps us connected to our, our humanness. Um, reading awakens us to seek uh, and, and maybe to find what we strive and, and look for. Um, and, and I think these days that the line between consumers of culture and producers of culture has become so blurred um, because of the means of you know making culture um, that I am just a, um, untrained voice on a microphone distributed to the world, to the few listeners out there who can tolerate this much rambling. Um, you know, and, and that, you know, people can write fanfic, you know, they can take their characters off of the shelf that they love so much, the properties that are owned by others, uh, your Harry Potters, your, Adventure Times, whatever, and 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 create their own versions of those sto- of those characters, their own stories with those characters. You know the Tumblr posts where people are um, drawing Spider-Man and making it so much their very own. Um, I think of a, a guy like Ramon Villarobos who is um, 
an artist who just started posting his art and was discovered and found and now is working in comics. Um, I think about web comics like JL8, <laughs> where people have the power to self-publish because of the technology that's available to us, the resources that are available to us. Um, there's a, a podcast out there called Making Comics from Comics Experience, and they had a recent episode that, actually, to be honest, I hadn't listened to the whole thing, but the title of it was indicative. It said, the title was, Are Publishers Even Necessary Anymore? And I think that's a fascinating question. Um, and here I am <laughs> doing this podcast, and part of the reason that I'm doing it is this is a way that I step into a community or a bunch of communities, a world. Um, and and I'm not a professional, and I'm not even as good as those other guys. Uh, and and you know, when I say guys, I I realize all of the gender limitation in it. Um, the men and the women that are. Um, doing real comics criticism and real comics um, journalism and, and analysis, um, even the, the scholars and the academics who are studying it for real, while here I am, um, amateur hour. But um, I think of, um, well, one such critic is, uh, is somebody named Jay Michaeline, uh, sometimes called Jam, because that is, those are her initials. Um, she's written for a, a bunch of places. I think right now she tends to um, publish at, at the AV Club, uh, but uh, I think at, a, at some other places too. And one of them is her Tumblr site, which is called uh, pebblesandjamjam.tumblr.com. And uh, not too long ago, she posted about this idea of comics criticism. In fact, I think she tries to do a piece a month called The Critical Jam. Um, you could Google search um, J-A-M-I-C-H-E-L-I-N-E is how you spell her last name. Um, or you can look at pebblesandjamjam.tumblr.com. And, and uh, this post where she talks a little bit about criticism and being inspired from New Yorker um, columnist Daniel Mendelssohn's uh, Critics Manifesto, which came out a, a few years ago. Um, I remember when that came out. Um, being inspired by that to do the comics criticism work that she does. Um, she writes that um, the thing that I like least about Mendelssohn's piece, though, is, I'm quoting here, the notion of the true capital true or capital serious critic that everyone is not a critic and you can see the quiet fear in the end of the work a fear of the average opinion crowding the space of capital true capital criticism a fear i at least partially put in context uh, she makes a comment about how he insistently uses the word he to refer to the critic but um so she mentions that here she goes on to say the piece is so otherwise convincing that you may miss the tiny leap between quote good critic and quote true critic but a leap it is nonetheless the conflation is tempting if only because it permits the myth that the only true critics are the good critics but in fact many or more likely most of us are mediocre or bad but we are all still critics i'm including everything here this is still um michaeline Goodreads ratings, Yelp or Amazon reviews, tweets, self-indulgent Tumblr columns. It's all in there, and it's all real, and it's all fair game. What they say is true. Everyone's a critic. And it's fascinating to see how Mendelssohn is almost aware of the fear-based logic that suggests otherwise. She goes on to quote him um, pretty extensively. And then uh, she says, um, skipping ahead a little bit, it, it's a legitimation crisis. If there's no hierarchical structure, no above and below, no true and false, then how is one to know one's place in the world? Without modernist establishments, how am I to know whether I belong in the critical class, whether my arguments are good, whether they carry more weight than the average person's? Next paragraph, she says, I can't really, even in the presence of the establishment. This column could suddenly begin appearing in the New Yorker, and still I'd never know. At that stage, I could perhaps be defined as accomplished. But we've all read enough bad criticism from accomplished critics to know these metrics are meaningless. Am I good is a bad question, and contingent upon too many variables to be useful. But we still ask it anyway. We want to be good. We have to in order to be good. Self-examination is necessary to our way of life. Um, it's It's a post that you, it's definitely worth reading, but I guess as far as how it reflects on um, this question of what we do here when we are involved in, well, in my case, in this um, uh, uh, citizen criticism, you could, you could say, um, in this amateur uh, podcasting kind of work, is that what we're involved in is participating with our voices as best as we can in the very thing that all of us do, that all of us do when we read, uh, that you know, whether 
implicitly or not, we we engage in when we engage in culture. Um, and I, I think that's why one of the aspects of the character Miss Marvel and her appeal uh, that has made her such a voice of our times is not only that she is a Muslim American, not only that she is a Pakistani immigrant uh, family member, not only that she's a teenager, not only that she is a New Jerseyan, <laughs> not only that um, she often feels awkward and left out, but she is the fan uh, that is in all of us. Miss um, Marvel matters to all of us uh, because of how important she is as a different voice as a different kind of person um i i have talked about miss marvel in an earlier episode and and i i hope that my marvel episodes aren't always about miss marvel one of these days i plan to um delve into the um mysteries of i don't know age of apocalypse or something like that but um for today and for now because of coming back from this hiatus i want to talk about all new all different avengers annual number one uh it is taking the approach that um, Matt Garcia, I think, at Multiversity Comics wrote about um, the annual. Uh, I should check that actually while we speak, whether or not he's the one that wrote that. Apologies for that. But um, uh, in the review at multiversitycomics.com, there's a discussion about whether, you know, what, what you do with an annual. And one of the things that you might do with an annual is you might um, have this a big event. And another thing that you, you know, that sort of is consequential and another thing that you do is you do something light and utterly inconsequential um something that is you know totally uh uh, uh playful um and i really apologize because i actually miss um cited that it's actually robbie pleasant at multiversity comics who wrote the review of all new all different avengers annual number one and um uh, Robbie talks about how you know, you're either rocking the series to its core, that's quoting, or it's a great self-contained story that ha- impacts a little but entertains a lot. And um, as Robbie rightly um, dictates, this is this is the latter. This is really an episode. I mean, an episode, an issue of of um, all new, all different Avengers that you know has no consequence. You know, we're nef- not talking about the universe-shattering events of of, of Civil War two here. Um, but I actually think there's a great amount of consequence in what they're talking about for the notion of reading um, and the notion of participating in comics as fans. Uh, Miss Marvel matters to us, as I said before, because she challenges all of the binaries of who heroes are in superhero comics. She challenges many of them. And, um, you know, I, I think the reason why we have a stake in Miss Marvel, um, why so many of us care about her is not necessarily just because we can identify her, but because we can identify with her, but because she, she dismantles some of, of the barriers to us identifying with so many characters. Um, it's the fact that she is, um, you know, not Christian. That makes me as a Christian grateful that she is a character there. Um, grateful that um, Sana Amanat brought bits of herself as editor into this character, grateful that G. Willow Wilson brought bits of herself into this character, grateful that, um, you know, uh, that the artists uh, such as Adrian Alfona, who were involved in the creation of Ms. Marvel, brought a bit of themselves into the character. It's the fact that she is a girl, which makes it so that um, I can identify with her because she's not the unmarked case. And I should talk about that for a bit. Um, this idea, I think, in, in so social sciences of the marked and the unmarked case, it kind of comes from linguistics. There's, um, you know, there's the way that you talk that is quote-unquote standard, assumed. Um, and then there's the way that's weird, um, that marks you as different, as somehow off, non-standard. Um, for instance, um, in American English, we would say, ask, A-S-K. That's the unmarked case. Uh, the marked case is if I were to say, ax. Um, she asks me a question. Um, and that's the marked case that we associate with African-American vernacular English. But, um, the th- the important insight about marked and unmarked cases is that it's all a, f- a convention. It's not rooted in, you know, in uh, some fundamental truth about language or about what is standard being what is right. Um, the unmarked and the marked cases are just what we have 
deemed as standard or non-standard, as right or wrong, as common, assumed, or otherwise. Um, you know, if I say laboratory, um, it's actually truer to the so the letters that are in the word for laboratory. But <laughs> that would be the marked case in my American context um, for me to say laboratory instead of saying laboratory. Um, it's not a matter of the accuracy to the letters. Uh, it's the matter of saying that I am identifying with this kind of speech or this kind of community or these patterns for me to say X or for me to say laboratory. There's no such thing as a truly unmarked case. But there is this idea in society that something is common, normal, um, uh, uh, blank. <laughs> um, in fact, and I'm going to come back to him, and, and I want to do this with some sensitivity, but um, I was listening to uh, an interview with Mark Wade um, recently on uh, the Nerdist Comics panel, another good podcast. And uh, Mr. Wade um, is a writer, by the way, I should say, I should preface that I admire. I like his work. I have a lot of it. In fact, I'm sitting next to shelves and shelves and shelves of Mark Waid, <laughs> be it Daredevil or Old Flash or whatever, you know, Avengers, you name it. Um, so respect to Mark Waid. Um, but he's, he's writing Archie right now. And this interview was about Archie. And he talked about this choice that he made as a writer in, in, redesigning Archie where he said that he didn't um, he thought for a minute about having Archie have divorced parents and you know you could almost call this a slip of the tongue and I'm not trying to play gotcha here uh, let me say that um, and I hope the rest of this conversation is judicious enough to reflect that but he basically says I decided not to have Archie have divorced parents because I wanted him to be as I don't know how he said it but something like common uh, identifiable vanilla uh, you know, almost as normal as possible so that the, just the most everyday commonplace reader could see through Archie to the rest of the world. Um, Mr. Wade is somebody who I think is very sensitive about representation. Um, and, I, and I'll talk about that a bit in a, in a minute, but I think his comments, his kind of offhanded comments kind of reveal what this perspective is of the idea of an unmarked, of the unmarked case that, um, yes, you do decide, yeah, I want some characters of color. I want some, you know, um, uh, gay, lesbian, tra transgender, um, transsexual characters. I want, you know, this, that, and the other. You decide to sprinkle in all your representation and diversity because it's interesting, because it's fun, because it makes better stories, because it attracts readers, because people can identify with these different characters. But in the way that Mr. Wade tells it, you know, he still has this notion of the blank case, you know, the nuclear family. Um, and if I may, he didn't say this about Archie, but if I may say just a white bread, a white boy, <laughs> that's who Archie is. And all of us supposedly can see through him because that's what it means to be a white man. You are blank. You are the norm. You are standard. Um, and I think you know, conscious white folks do some amount of self-ridicule about that notion, ca calling themselves bland, um, joking about the, you know, sarcastically about them having a culture or a place that is, you know, very white bread, as we'd say in America, having no culture. Um, I think that's a myth. I think that's a dangerous illusion. I think that's, um, you know, actually the exactly what hegemony means <laughs> exactly what it means to be um to be blind actually um to think that there is a perspective that you hold that you have that uh yeah you may make fun of it because it's not interesting but it's not interesting you think because it's so out there it's so dominant it's so normal that everybody knows it well i'll tell you i don't know what it is to be <clears throat> excuse me i don't know what it is to be a white american I mean, despite a lifetime of consuming all sorts of media, um, I can't make sense of why um, less educated whites are going, you know, in, in large numbers for Trump. I, I don't know. I don't understand it. Um, I don't understand what it's like to walk around every day and to feel a sense that um, you are normal and 
Everything else is weird. I only know what it is, culturally speaking, to be weird everywhere I go, almost. Um, even weird when I'm among all Asians in Asia, because I'm not um, just Asian. And I think what Miss Marvel means to, and why she matters to, to all of us, to many of us, is that there's some way in which all of us are the marked case and there are many ways in which she is the marked case. And that's why for her to enter the stage as a superhero is a triumph. It's a reappropriation. It is grabbing from the throne. Um, it is grabbing from, you know, the pantheon, the place that we thought not reserved for us. And then saying that we are going to claim this as our own, whoever us may be, <laughs> us may be being you know, Muslim Americans, us being teenage girls, us being Pakistani Americans, us being um, people from immigrant families or not. You know, there's this there's this concept in back to my language background. But, you know, there's this concept of there's a huge chasm between um, monolingualism and bilingualism or multilingualism that um you know, obviously knowing four languages is cooler than knowing two, but there's actually a whole different thing that happens between the difference of knowing two languages and knowing one. It's when you have in your head multiple systems um, by which you arrange all things that are logic and thought, um, that makes a big difference, you know, where the, I guess what I'm saying is the difference between one and two is much bigger than the difference between two and three or three and eight. Because once you have two, you're not um, limited to the narrow one and thinking that that's all there is. And I'm not saying this to dump or trash on people who are, who think they are in some sense monocultural or who think they are in some sense, who are in some sense monolingual. Um, I am, um, uh, you know, sort of variously equipped in various <laughs> languages. And so I'm not trying to speak from a high horse there. What I'm trying to actually say is that all of us have this sense of, of not belonging, of some way in which we are not um, uh, the, the norm, the standard, the desired um, uh, image that's out there. And maybe it has to do with our body type. Maybe it has to do with our sexuality. Maybe it has to do with our gender identification. Maybe it has to do with our nerdiness, <laughs> our general geekiness, our athletic ability. Um, the fact that we have athletic ability, maybe, you know, there's some way in which Ms. Marvel matters to all of us because she represents a counter narrative to the dominant norm, uh, narrative. Um, and I realized that, um, you know, one of the things that makes Miss Marvel awesome and so appealing is that she is not shy about fangirling out and fangirling out and being unshy about that is a cultural movement of our times that, um, is vitally important because to me, f being able to fangirl out means that you're you're able to seize and grab hold of something that you're not supposed to be by some, you know, outdated standards of decorum. And you are embracing um, the, the sort of wild frontier world of cultural production where you get to make of people and yourselves and stories very different things. Okay, so let now that we're 40, 30 minutes into this, let me talk about the actual content of the comic. Basically, um, all know all different Avengers annual number one. I'm going to do spoilers here, but um, I'll warn you when the real spoilers come. Basically, it's an issue where, uh, you know, you, you need a setup to have lots of different writers and artists contribute a little piece. And you got a really awesome slate of people here. Uh, Faith Aaron Hicks makes a her sort of Miss um, Marvel and Squirrel Girl entry appearance. And that is just, um, you know, talk about fangirling out. That's something to be really excited about. Um, so basically, there's a framing story um, written by, actually written by um, G. Willow Wilson um, and drawn by uh, Mahmoud Asrar, who's the sort of one of the artists on, on All New All Different Avengers. The framing story is that Miss Marvel comes home from fighting bad guys and she goes online as young people, well, all of us do. <laughs> she goes online and she's like, ah, what do you do after a day of fighting, uh, of fighting villains? 
you um, go and check out your fanfic and see see how it's doing, see how many likes it's gotten. And so there she is, and she's um, while she goes on there, she finds somebody representing her. You know, there's a fanfic of um, the relationship between her and um, you know Miles Morales, Spider Man, and Nova, and this whole sort of weird flirtation triangle that's been going on and all this stuff. And, uh, and so, um, she can't turn her eyes away. Somebody is making a story about her. And so, um, you know, she, uh, she's, she's mortified to, to see Miss Marvel and the teenage love triangle from space by bad machine, 1999, as it's called. Um, it's great. Just a great send up of, you know, social network and fanfic communities. Um, and uh, about which a lot of great, really great research has been done, by the way, uh, which I have not uh, digested all of that research. But um, anyway, that's sort of the framing setup for um, a bunch of folks uh, to, including Natasha Allegri, uh, which is really fun to see her there as well, and, and some other folks to um, be involved in telling these little Miss Marvel stories that are sort of Miss Marvel fanfic from a variety of perspectives. Um, the story that I do want to, focus in on though is written by none other than um, Mr. Mark Wade um, and drawn by um, Chip Chip Zdarsky Chip Zdarsky who is that I'm just kidding um, <laughs> he of uh, you know um, sex criminals Archie and Jughead Howard the Duck um, but um, uh, Chip Zdarsky draws the story that Mark Wade writes that is um, the fanfic that Kamala is reading where <laughs> there's this ridiculous story of um, Ms. Marvel and Captain Marvel beating back scrolls and, um, you know, in a, in the sort of, <laughs> uh, a great send up of, uh, the, uh, the sort of <laughs> ridiculous elements of fanfic, you know, there's sort of super clunky dialogue and, um, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> not, not very, um, there's no editor here. <laughs> there's certainly, um, uh, no Lee Walton involved in this because the, the, um, the story is ridiculous. Um, and, and really it's, uh, I think sending up the way that, um, some fanfic, some participatory culture media like this, uh, really everybody gets to sort of have their take on the character. And a lot of times it's really thinly veiled. Um, this is, these are my opinions and these are my perspectives put into the mouths in, um, really awkward and, and, uh, you know, um, unthought out <laughs> dialogue between characters as um, ridiculous and uh, sometimes trope trope laden events occur. Um, and that's basically what happens. Um, Captain Marvel has to sacrifice herself, passes on the mantle to Miss Marvel, who truly deserves it. Um, then the old Captain Marvel comes back, you know, Jim Starlin style or maybe starlin turning in his grave style <laughs> jim starlin wouldn't be turning in his grave of course uh you you okay <laughs> um but uh you know captain marvel the old captain marvel is back from um from cancer <laughs> it's just ridiculous and then the last page um uh he decides he says you, you know the old captain marvel for thank you for keeping my name and rank alive until i could once more rightfully reclaim it and Miss Marvel's sort of meekly like oh but she gave it to me and then he starts to explain allow me to explain it to you for it's simple enough even for your gender it's called a mantle not a woman toll <laughs> and then Miss Marvel replies golly Captain Marvel you're right you've shown me the error of my ways no more social justice warrioring for me um and then, of course, the reaction shot at the bottom of the page, which is sort of the pattern of this short, uh, short little narrative, is Miss Marvel um, literally burning up in flames in in horrified anger at this um, where this fan fiction has gone. Um, it's uh, I think this is what trolling means. I don't know. I'm too old to understand that. Um, but it's funny. It's funny story. You'd expect as much from Wade and Zdarsky. Uh, it's a send up of fanfic. It's us. I think it's a send up of, you know, it's satire of this kind of broad participatory 
participatory culture um, more generally, you know, the idea that everybody gets to have their take on a character, whether, you know, they, they, we all get to have our sounding, you know, whether it's a story that Miles writes about Kamala or it's my critical race theory analysis of Mark Wade or something. Um, and we can all have an audience. Um, and, and the fact that Marvel cannot contain, you know, despite all of their copyright infringement enforcement um, cannot contain all of the stories and interpretations out there of a character once it enters the popular public consciousness that all of us and our interpretations and our readings color and texture and maybe tarnish these characters so that um, you know sometimes the million internet comments about a character are more influential than the original uh, quote-unquote than the work itself um, and you know I think what Wade and Zdarsky are satirizing, they're, they're not satirizing the, the social justice warriors, um, which if you're not familiar, that's basically a, a derisive term for people who are somehow progressive on social media, pushing for, um, you know, uh, representation and things like that. Um, I don't think he's satirizing social justice warriors. He's actually satirizing the, the social media denizens who, who use that platform to, to ridicule or to chide um, people. Um, and it's true. Those maybe both sides deserve some sending up. Um, but at the bottom panel of each of these pages is Kamala's reaction. And really the punchline of this of this humor piece is her reaction <laughs> heating up. <laughs> you know, she, she's like I said, literally inflamed uh, like a gif, you know, <laughs> of um, Kamala's eyes as she's horrified at the way that she's being re represented. And I think the story reminds us that when we're involved in this participatory culture, offering our takes that someone's on the other end of this stuff, you know, people tweet uh, just today somebody was tweeting something at Nick Spencer it was criticism and Nick Spencer was sort of like you know you realize you're at the creator when you write this right that I can see this that you're you know directly throwing shade at me criticizing my work uh, publicly and um, and to be on the other end of the stuff and to watch your identity your public name to be manipulated by quote-unquote representation by others um, yeah, it's it's a it can be a, it's an like awesome environment because we can all be involved. It's also a terrifying environment because internet comments. Um, and you know, I I think one of the things to be honest that disturbs me sometimes online is certain creators that I follow, and um, sometimes they're on social media standing up for diversity and representation, but there are other times that they're, you know, voicing complaints that it seems that, you know, quote unquote progressives or, you know, I think, I don't think they would want to use the term social justice warriors or whomever are just impossible to please. Um, they seem to tell you to do this. And then when you do it, they tell you to do that and that you did it wrong. And I, I guess I understand these creators who are just sort of like, I'm just trying to tell a good story, but I, to be honest, from my vantage point, it's it's reflective of the idea that I ha that I hold that I think this sometimes this talk about representation has become kind of bankrupt. I'm almost scared to say. I mean, I think when it comes to creators, when it comes to audience, yes, representation. We need to talk about having representative figures who speak, who tell the story of the people who we purport to be telling stories of. Um, but when it comes to characters, when it comes to the worlds that are being portrayed, um, well, again, not to, you know, run his name through the ringer, you know, I think to a certain point, Mark Wade tells awesome stories. Um, at, at a certain point, the attempt at representation, and this came up last year, actually with the aforementioned J.A., um, Michaeline uh, crit critiquing Mark Wade and J.G. Jones for their book last year from Boom called Strange Fruit, um, to which I think Mr. Wade had, I think, a pretty gracious response. Um, but, um, you know, there's something now impoverished, can we say, maybe even bankrupt about the idea of just representation when it comes to 
characters and the worlds portrayed in different cultures and different perspectives still being retold by the same people. Um, it's starting to feel like when we talk about representation, it's difficult to distinguish between the um, positive and um, and culturally sustaining kind of representation and tokenism um, and appropriation. Um, and, I, and I almost want to reclaim the word representation, but maybe to suggest maybe we need to use a different word. I mean, maybe the word reappropriation is the is the one that we should be talking about when we're talking about who, you know, holds the hammer of Thor or who um, is Miss Marvel. Um, you know, I'm talking about how you can use these characters who, you know, historically, you just I just look at the portrayal of Asian men in American comics and it it's horrifying to me and it hits home because this is why I'm uh, suspicious looking despite all my attempts to um, smile and look humble. Um, it explains why, um, you know, I am unattractive. <laughs> Not that I'm really interested in being an attractive, but it, it explains the things that people see when they see me um, and whatever little bits of facial hair I might have or whatever um, look might be in my eyes that reveals some ancient um, Chinese secret. Um, I, I think representation, uh, you know, talks about people showing up somewhere. But in comics, um, in media, I think it's not enough for us to show up. We need to reappropriate. Just the way that reappropriation of the word uh, nigga for African Americans, um, just as reappropriation of the term queer for um, queer folks, um, is a matter of us being able to say that thing that hurt us or that at the very least erased us we will take and make something of our own reappropriation um, can we learn as readers to appreciate when people spin counter narratives that might even make us uncomfortable because it's exactly that dominant narrative that made us comfortable that you know reminds us of our childhoods of home um, can we appreciate it when something is challenging us and I guess I say all this to come back to the idea of criticism and what I'm trying to do here on this podcast I don't think that I have um, any um, any uh, uh, you know mastery or um, ownership of a critical perspective um, I am a voice and um, there are many and I think all, what I'm responsible for and responsible to is um, a generous and hospitable and yet critical uh, participation uh, and um, engagement with my voice in, um, in, again, I've said this before on the podcast, but and I think in a medium that is increasingly culturally um, relevant. Uh, comics are, to me, more relevant than ever. And that's why it's exciting to talk about it. That's why it's exciting for me to listen to others and um, to, to, you know, be a huge consumer of comics writing and comics podcasting, um, comics media, not to mention comics themselves. <laughs> um, but I guess my earnest attempt in this podcast is to listen um, as feverishly, as fervently, and yes, um, hopefully, and... Um, and generously, but also critically as I can, um, in whatever ways that I can. Um, and in that, I think I am inviting dialogue. Um, maybe I'm inviting trolling <laughs> from people on the internet, but actually what I hope to be doing is to, to be inviting dialogue. Um, when I think about the politics that are going on, um, in the world, uh, definitely here in America, I, fear for an impoverished discourse where we don't know how to talk to each other anymore. We don't know how to imagine somebody else's world uh, anymore. And, um, you know, Google and our social media bubbles conspire to convince us that our perspectives are the only ones out there. And I think that's one of the power 
powerful things about about literature, about cinema, about about uh, visual arts, about comics, is the possibility that we can be challenged, um, the possibility that we can be made uncomfortable, that what is familiar can be strange, and what is strange can become familiar to us. Um, I think that Miss Marvel has done um, something incredible with that. But there are all kinds of fraught questions that start to come up when um, we talk about representation, when Miss Marvel starts to become the banner um, for something, some idea, um, some idea which we have a lot of different feelings about. Uh, and t teasing that out, untangling that is the hard work of criticism. It's the hard work of analysis and um, something I hope to continue to be doing here. So again, shout out to everybody who's been listening. Thank you so much for those of you who've been just kind enough to uh, even mention this poorly produced and <laughs> haphazardly put together podcast. Um, I am Tuply at gmail.com. I am Tuply on Twitter. Um, I'm, you can find this podcast sort of at tuply.tumblr.com, although I haven't posted very much there. I apologize. And um, what I'm going to do, some of the changes in the podcast in the days to come that you'll see, is that um, I'm going to try to record multiple episodes at once. It's the only way to make this daily podcast sustainable. So I might be a little bit behind in conversation by a few days sometimes, but I've shifted Sunday and Monday to be the superhero days. Sunday Super Friend is DC. Monday Marvel is Marvel. On Tuesday, I cover a trade paperback, as I said, from um, a different direct market publisher. Um, this Tuesday's trade paperback is going to be Invisible Republic Volume 2 from um, Becco and Hardman uh, from Image Comics. On Wednesday, I'm still going to talk about web comics and world comics. Um, I'm hoping to talk about Quarto Maltese, the Ethiopian that just came out from IDW, um, Euro Comics. Uh, this week, and also I'll cover what's coming up, uh, what's coming out that day in um, on New Comic Book Day. But I'll also try to um, point ahead to what I'm talking about for the rest of the week. And so that's as much as I've got planned until Wednesday, which is oh my gosh, it's tomorrow. Um, and then after that, uh, we will I'll talk about what the Thursday throwback, Friday family graphic novel, and uh, Saturday smaller press book would be. Um, and then we'll do it again so um yeah so i'm back this is back um it's back thanks to those of you who were kind enough to reach out and to say something and so please continue to do so if you have thoughts about some of the stuff that i'm saying um whether it's you know paul you're full of um indecipherable mumbo jumbo or paul you are um speaking my to my soul whatever it may be you can find me at twofly at gmail.com or twofly at twitter Thanks for joining us and let's keep reading.